If you're tired of dieting and stepping on the scale, you're lacking energy and confidence, and you're ready to harness your inner athlete, then you're in the right place. I'm Sherry Shaban, and in each episode, I'll help you to rebuild your fitness identity and empower your deepest transformation so that health and fitness are not just what you do, but who you are. What's up, athletes? Welcome back to the show. When we constantly live in the past or future and compare ourselves to this idealized version of who we think we should be, we deprive ourselves of experiencing true joy because the magical things we are trying to achieve are not here. When we live in the past or chase after the future, we miss out on the present moment and fall to appreciate the blessings we currently possess. We have it all right here, right now. Authentic joy can only be found when we embrace the present. We accept our bodies as they are and express gratitude for what they do for us. Instead of focusing on achieving an ideal weight or an impeccable level of fitness, we should identify the emotions we desire and start cultivating them in the present. Transforming our lives requires self-acceptance and envisioning our transformation in the present can accelerate our results and bring fulfillment to our current reality. In this inspiring conversation with Edward Miskey, he generously shares his journey through a rare cancer diagnosis and struggles with alcohol, body dysmorphia, and other challenges. He also discusses how these experiences inspired his book and how he emerged as a survivor and victor despite it all. Our discussion covers various topics, including self-comparison, living in the present with gratitude, the power of choice, and being kinder to ourselves. Edward received this devastating diagnosis of rare enlarged B-cell Burkitt's-like non-Hodgkin's lymphoma at 25. Prior to his diagnosis and commencement of treatment, he was in a relationship, worked as an actor, and cherished a close-knit circle of friends. However, after completing his treatment, he had to start all over. Edward's inspiring journey is one that you can't miss. Can't wait for us to jump into this, athletes. It is such a beautiful conversation. You are going to love Edward as I did. He is this beautiful light, full of energy, and this constant reminder as to how we need to redefine our progress and who we are in order to truly embrace joy and love and know ultimately that we have it all right here, right now. Now, before we begin, I have some super exciting news to share with you about the Hit Dex app that is set to launch in just a couple of weeks on iOS and on the Android. And you're able to download those from your Google Play or your App Store. And what's so exciting about this app is that it's going to show you how you can transform your health and body in just 20 minutes each day. There's a part there where you get to play my favorite game, the deck of cards, which will completely randomize your reps for you. You're going to choose four exercises that are going to come up in random times with random reps. And why I love this particular workout is that I find it goes so fast. You're able to constantly change your movements. You don't know what's coming next. And so there's this guessing game that's so pleasurable. And of course, at the end of those 20 minutes, you have this wicked workout. It's also going to help create a beautiful structure for you around your nutrition. It's not a diet, but will help set you up 
for success by showing you what we oftentimes don't know, because this is a reminder that we don't know what we don't know when it comes to certain things. And then finally, my favorite part as well is the randomizer, which means that you're going to be able to choose your muscle groups that you want to work on, the equipment you already have, and then you're going to choose the number of exercises that you want to complete. And then boom, the app creates a custom workout for you based on your level and based on your choice and your goal for that day. And then of course it ties in all of the other things that you see here that I have available for you. So many free resources, including this podcast, including the YouTube workouts. And I'm so excited for you to let me know how it goes. And if you right now head on over to iTunes, you subscribe to fallinlovewithfitness.com, you write me a review, and then you send that screenshot to sherry at sherryshabon.com. I am so excited to share with you the first version of the premium version of the app where you're going to be able to access all of the tools for 90 days free of charge. And let me tell you, athletes, you are going to love this and it is going to change your world and really help you redefine your health and fitness goals. And remember that I am with you every single step of the way. All right, athletes, now let's get to talking with Mr. Edward. Hi, Edward. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me, Sherry. Happy to be here. <laughs> oh, me too. Stop it. Me too. I'm more happy. So I'm so excited to have this conversation. I love your energy. I love your voice. I just love your presence. And what I love also is your story. And I understand you're a newly published author of cancer, musical theater, and other chronic illnesses. And you're now celebrating 10 years cancer free. So congratulations. Yeah, I'm about to hit 11, which is really just such a wild. <laughs> it's been a journey. Let's let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, so amazing. So you had a rare case of a particular leukemia. And maybe you could just start by sharing your story. And I know we're going to tap into this. And this is such a, an important topic for me because I lost my mom through the C word. And I think a lot of us know somebody or we know many people, we may even be going through it ourselves. And so there's just so many ups and downs. And a lot of what you were sharing with me just super resonated and just witnessing my mom go through this and super connected with me. And I think it's so important that we share this message and we just, we just give people the reality of, of what really that situation is like. So thanks again for being here. And I'd love to hear your story. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so in 2011, I was diagnosed with rare and large BSL Burkitt's like non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which was like unheard of for anyone in my remote geographic or demographic location things of things. And there was a lot of head scratching going on with my first hospital, which will remain nameless. And they were such a dumpster fire, you know, they just kind of kept pumping me full of drugs and hoping for the best, you know, which is like, I mean, I understand like practice of medicine, it's not perfected. And especially in rare cases, you kind of are like kind of throwing stuff at the wall and hoping that it sticks. But you never want to hear that as a patient. <laughs> you never really want to be told like, hey, things are hopeless. So we're just going to start emptying bags of drugs into your body and see what happens, you know, and so like, it was a weird time and it was especially derailing because I was so young 
and I was so hot and like didn't know it, but like I was looking back. I'm like, oh God, I wasted that. But then, you know, having everything derail and go into this whole experience of like being in the cancer world of things uh, was really wild. And when you look at the timeline of it, it was really only 10 months of treatment from start to finish. Like I knew I had something going on for about a year. It was like six months. It was like June. Oh, like forever. Yeah, forever. It was like I knew since I was a child. There was something wrong with me. But, uh, you know, going into this, it was like there was a lump that had been growing for several months and it was growing quickly and very aggressively, as I as I say, and to the point where like my skin was stretching and I had stretch marks all over my side from this thing, like trying to grow out of my body. And so when I finally was able to get back to my doctor in the city, I was basically like chucked right into a hospital from there. You know, I've had a biopsy and a week later I was in treatment. Wow. So I'm super honored to be having this conversation with you today. And I'm so happy that you are now 11 years into recovery and that you were able to beat this. And we're going to definitely dive into what that process looked like. But a couple of things that just kind of came up for me was, well, first of all, the ignoring the symptoms for a long time, which I want to dive into. And then the other part too is Looking back at a particular time of your life where you're like, man, I wasted that. Man, I looked good. I was hot. And how many of us do this? Like, how many of us do this? Anybody listening right now where you look back in your 20s and you spent most of it feeling uncomfortable, no confidence, feeling like you were overweight, like you didn't like how you looked in clothes. And now you look back at those photos and you're like, my God, my God, what was I I would literally kill someone to look like that again. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's true. And, you know, in the moment, you're like, oh, I'm disgusting. And you're like, just comparing yourself to all these people that you have no business comparing yourself to for a number of reasons, you know, but I look back at that. And I'm just like, oh, and then how much time do we waste trying to like jam ourselves back into that? And this is actually something I talk about frequently, not necessarily within the the appearance, fitness, weight conversation, but it still applies. Whereas, you know, when you come out of something as traumatic as as what I had gone through, whether that be cancer for listener specific, whatever, when you come out on the end of it, you just have to kind of realize that the person that you were is dead. And you can't like you can't you just can't. It's a waste of time and energy, brain space. You know, it, it makes you love yourself less when you're doing it because you're comparing yourself to someone who doesn't exist anymore. And it's just an unfair comparison to do to yourself. And I, I still do that. I still look at this. There's this one picture of me from when I was 27 and I was right out of treatment. I'm out sitting on a yacht in a custom-made suit in Florida. Like, it's absolutely fabulous. And at the time, I thought I looked like this disgusting beast. And I look back at that and I'm like, goals, life goals. Like, can I just get one more round of chemo just to look like that? Like one more, just like suck it out of me. But that's what we do to ourselves. And certainly this journey from like being a very like healthy, active 24 year old to being a very sickly decimated 25 year old to being 26 and 27 and rebuilding from the ground up. Those are three different people. And comparing myself at 27, where I was a year out of treatment, is not a fair comparison for myself now, 10 years later, looking at that and being like, oh, God, I just want to look like that ever again. It's never going to happen unless I involve science. Well, never say never. And then I'll invite you maybe to connect with me offline and we could talk about this and I'll show you some of my YouTube workouts and all that. And 
it's actually some limiting beliefs, but you know, something that you said really just resonated with me. And I believe that suffering, our suffering comes from living in the past or focusing on the future. And what we're really trying to do is embrace this one small state of time, right? Especially when you're looking back at photos and you're like, wow, I looked so great. There was that one state of time that you are wanting, that you're desiring to come back, but never really staying in the present moment. And the same thing when we're looking into the future or we're setting goals around something that we wanna create in the future. When I release 30 pounds, then I'll be happy. When I find the guy, then I'll be complete. When I make this business and I make this much money, then I'll be, you know. And so we're constantly living in a place that's not in the present moment. And we can never find joy because those moments are not here. There's this magical thing that we're trying to achieve, this magical point in time where there's a particular state of joy that we think that we're going to achieve. And everything we're doing right now today is for that moment. And so we're not living in this place where we can find the joy and the gratitude and all of the things that we currently have because Edward, you have it all. I'm actually, you know, you're talking, I'm looking at this handsome dude across from me. I'm like, what is he talking about the past? Like he's trying to bring this back. What does he mean? But you know what I mean though? It's, it's just like that self comparison thing. And, and it's really funny that you said really everything that you just said, because I just got off a work call where this was the exact conversation of like chasing the goal that you're never going to get. Or even if you do want to get it and you do get it realizing like, oh, this is it. I point back to this this interview that I heard with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck on The Graham Norton Show. They're talking about how they won that Oscar for Goodwill Hunting when they were 24 and 25 years old, I think. Like in like same age I was when I had cancer. And Matt Damon re- said that he remembers like sitting in his hotel room with this statue and just being like, that's it? Like, that's it. I have this statue. And like, he was like, I just immediately thought about like this 80 year old man who spent his whole life working towards this thing and then gets the thing and has that like, oh, my God, I have wasted my whole life for what? And it's kind of the same. It's the same thing that you're talking about, with like fitness or money or the guy or, or whatever have you. And it really is a waste of time and energy. And yet we all still do it for some reason, because <laughs> it's it's like the tangible thing that we can see. And it's like, if I can just get that. And to me, it's not even the if or when, it's the then what. And that's a a big through line conversation I have with people often is the what do you want? And it's always like, oh, I want to do this. And like very similar to what you're talking about. But I'd love to get past that and be like, let's pretend that you already have all of those things. Then what do you want? Because if you have it all, then all the things that you want are gone. And so then you're either like an empty vessel of nothing that has everything that they want, or you get to figure out what the next step is to like that fulfillment, if you want to call it that, of what your life means and is for. So good. I don't actually believe we want those things. I actually think we want the feelings of those things. The validation, yeah. Right. You know, the feeling to have the guy or the feeling to have the money or the feeling to have the health. And instead, though, what we could do is focus on harnessing, again, that those feelings right now. If I know the feelings that I want in the future, then why can I not start to live in them now? Because ultimately, I don't really want that state. I don't want to be just 30 pounds lighter because I can be 30 pounds lighter and really ill. And you just shared, you went through chemo and you'll see people. I saw my mom with her and it was so one of the lines that she said towards the end was, you know, I've lost all this weight and it's what I always was trying to do. And look at me, like, look how I did it. 
you know, and I would just like that killed me because how many of us in those last moments will wish that we were 10 pounds lighter or will wish that we had lost those five pounds or didn't have the pizza last night, right? We would do anything to be 20 pounds heavier and have our health, right? So health is not a state. It's actually a feeling. And that feeling has to come with self-acceptance and generosity. And we live in the society where we want things. We constantly want things. And we're told from such a small age, when you have this, when you graduate, when you go to college, when you get married, when you have your house, when, when, when. And it's, it's this constant living in the future because we're told that these are the things that we're supposed to strive for to make ourselves happy today. Well, and I think a lot about people who are around my age. I don't know how old you are and I won't speculate because regardless. Oh, I'm 43. So proud. Oh, how dare you be older than me and look this good? How dare? <laughs> but I do I do think to that point of a lot of people who are around my age, our age, who, who did all those things, who checked all the boxes, and then they got to the final box of like having kids, raising kids, whatever, and they look around and are like, oh, shit. What now? And their whole identity is wrapped in those checkpoints. And so when those checkpoints are over, their identity goes away. And then they're having an existential crisis of like, what in the world do I do now? Right. Or enter midlife, midlife crisis, right? Right. Totally. Absolutely. And I think to, you know, remain topical to this too, like that in my perspective is a scary thing, but it can also be a really wonderful thing to realize because similarly to coming out of being a sick person in the hospital with cancer, dying, planning funerals, doing all the things and getting this second chance at life, you have this moment. And it took me years to figure this out. And I, I'm a little disappointed in myself, <laughs> but to like put your feet like firmly on the ground and be like, okay, I get to start over now. What do I want to do with my life? What does the meaning of this mean for me now? And it's a process. It's not something that's going to, the light switch is just going to go on. And it's not necessarily something that you figure out in a month, six months, a year. It's different for everybody. It's taken me almost nine years to figure it out. And a lot of that was because I tried to wrap my identity in the person I was before that again, that person was gone. And so when you have those realizations of, oh no, I've done all the things and I'm here and I still feel the same, then it's kind of making the conscious decision, which is really the difference of saying, okay, how can I get what I want now that I've gotten all that I thought that I wanted? Mm. Whoa, 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 whoa. That has to land a moment. Wow. That was really good. Okay. You have to repeat that one more time. That was just so good. How can I get what I want now that I have all the things that I thought I wanted? So good. There's also, I will jump off of that by saying there's an artist called Blacksmith who's a balloon artist. You've probably seen him on Instagram. He's everywhere. And he does these like little phrases with little colored balloons. And there's one that he has a whole t-shirt collection and he did a sale a couple of years ago and I bought a bunch of them. So I have a bunch of these balloon t-shirts. But one of them says, I'm so glad I didn't get the thing that I thought that I wanted in the first place. And like, to me, that's what I just said about what do you want now that you have everything you thought you wanted? Because it's like, you get to that point and you're like, shit, I'm here. Like, shouldn't I feel or shouldn't I have or shouldn't I be a particular way? And you just don't. Right. I did an Ironman in 2016 and I had I was training for it for around nine months. And so for nine months, the main focus was race day. And so I lived in the future for nine months. I trained for the day and I ate for that day and I avoided social environments if that meant I would stay up late because I got training and I, everything I did was around that day. And let me tell you, that really was the most epic day of my life. I've had kids twice. Like I have two kids 
And crossing that finish line was the most exhilarating experience of my life. But the thing is, Edward, two days later, I fell into a deep depression. Two days after my race, I felt like, okay, now what, right? Working towards that thing. It's been almost a full year. I'm working towards this thing. Everything around my life revolved around this day. And now that the day is over, then what? This is why actors are crazy, right? Like as a theater person, as someone who's done musicals their whole life, it's that over and over and over again. Because the way that that whole thing works is you go through rounds and rounds and rounds of auditions, then you book the gig, then you're in the gig, then you're rehearsing for it, then you have opening night, then you run as long as you run. And then when it's over, you start all over again by auditioning for the thing and doing the thing and getting the thing, if you're lucky. And it's the same kind of depression when the show is over. And knowing that I tried so hard in the years that I was working all the time to never get to that point. And it didn't help me in the end <laughs> because all I was doing was avoiding it by continuing to book jobs. So I'd get the job and during rehearsals, I'd be looking for another job. And so I was never really present or enjoying the process because I was living in the next job that I was looking for. And even though I, I did enjoy, you know, what I was doing and I did love what I was doing and I made great friends and had great experiences, but it was always, well, I'm submitting for this, well, I'm looking for this, well, while I'm doing this, I'm also going to do this. And some people could say that that's smart and proactive and very business minded and a, and a good thing to do. And some people might be like, you've wasted these years of your life not enjoying what you were doing in the moment because you were looking to the future. I'm of the mindset that it's kind of both that you have to be present and also make sure that you're taking care of your future because you can't just like land flat on your ass on purpose because you were trying to live in the moment, like be responsible for yourself. But it's the same kind of thing where you hit, you climb the mountain and then the mountain goes away and you're like, and you fall. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You need to know where you're going. I agree with you a hundred percent. And, you know, we need to have a clear vision as to what we want to create the result or the outcome that we'd like, but let's not get so stuck on that being so rigid or that we forget to also enjoy the process. And actually coming back to the Iron Man, and then we're going to come off of this topic because I actually have some other questions to ask you. But I remember on race day, somebody told me that probably the best advice I got was like, don't forget to stay in the moment, like enjoy every single moment. Don't worry so much about crossing that finish line. Really, the pleasure was in the training. The pleasure was on that day. The pleasure was really in the moment. And when we don't realize that, that's, I think, when we miss it. Yeah, completely agree. All right. So I want to come back to your story and your journey. And if we could talk about sex, drugs, and rock and roll, if you're open to it. We sure can. <laughs> so so share a little bit. I, I know you went through some experiences and likely with this idea or this concept that this is my only opportunity to do it. I have this one chance to experience certain events. And so maybe you can share a little bit on that. Yeah, well, I mean, the idea of like sex, drugs and cancer is kind of like, you know, I drank and fucked my way through cancer. And it was a coping mechanism for sure. And it was also a vehicle that I used to feel normal and to kind of, again, cling on to that person that I was beforehand so desperately because everything in front of me was unknown. And there was like that looming, like, am I going to die? Is this the end? And if this is the end, do I want to have left this planet without having tried Kentucky Fried Chicken? Or, which is a real thing that actually happened. I'd never had it before. Then I decided to have it. And was it good? Did you like it? It was 
spectacular. <laughs> and then I never had it again. I've never tried it. It's <laughs> worth it. I completely, I will stand by it. It's worth it. Not sponsored, but Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> Fall in love with fitness, Edward. <laughs> Truly. And fried chicken can be part of that. <laughs> like, it's true. It's true. Absolutely. It was the fried chicken of it all. I'd never smoked pot before. I really overdid it with that at some points. And I talk about that in the book. It was so funny. And it was just kind of like, well, I know that I look like, you know, a shaved seal, but like, let's try and get some boys over. And I learned a lot about what men like in that period of time. <laughs> it wasn't good. I have to write another book. I am. It's actually called No One Has Ever Fucked Me Like New York City Has Fucked Me. And I'm not kidding. That's literally the title. And that's all of that. So anyway... So yeah, it was it was definitely coping mechanisms to feel normal, to feel pretty again, to feel like I was part of society, to feel like I was part of my friend group, to go out and participate in things that weren't good for me at all. And in the end, were more psychologically damaging than helpful. But in the moment, it felt right. Like, oh, I'm just going to drink my ass off because all my friends are. And like, I'm no different. I'm not a sick person. I can do this. And just like down as much bourbon as I could, you know, between chemo appointments. And it was like, what are you doing, man? Like, I look back at that. I'm like, how are you alive? <laughs> I did everything I could to make sure I did not live. And here we are. <laughs> so... <laughs> and, and curious through these experiences, and everyone obviously has has different experiences that would come to them or they would connect with if they were in your situation. But looking back and just going through these experiences, did they create fulfillment for you? Like, did they serve a particular purpose? They did. I wouldn't say that it was fulfillment. I would say that it was necessary for me, not encouraging it. But it was kind of a thing where it was like, you know, that moment where people are like, yep, still got it. It was like, can I still go to a bar and get drunk with my friends? And it was like, yes, I can. Okay, I am still normal. And it was just proving to myself that I was still a human being that could do things. You know, like the guys that I hooked up with were some of the hottest guys I've ever seen, which is ridiculous because I looked awful and we don't need to get into the kink of all of that. But like it was a validating moment where it was like, yeah, still got it, I guess, for some reason, whatever. And just kind of going like inching yourself forward to be like, am I still a normal person? Can I still feel the way that I used to? And it, it's very, I don't want to say disassociating, although for real, but like you lose your compass. You have no idea where you are. You're completely lost and you're just grasping at straws at that point. And you're like, what can I do to feel really anything for one and for two, the way that I used to? Right, right. It seems like you were also seeking maybe significance, desire, just being seen, I think, ultimately. And, and really, I think this is this is the root to all of our human experience. It's what we all want. And going through something like this, where you have no control over your body, where your body has just taken a complete overhaul in another direction, and you don't know the outcome and the impact of the treatment and how long this is going to go on for, I can totally see why you would turn to something that would make you feel alive. Yeah. I can laugh at it now. At the time, I don't think it was that funny. But I'm like, oh, you little cancer slut, you. <laughs> so now, 11 years later, right? And you look back at this the whole experience. Is there anything that you would want to go back and relive? Or is there something also that maybe, not that you regret, but that you wouldn't want to repeat? I think the answer that like marketing PR brain is telling me to say is yes. But in all honesty, no. Like every single piece, and this is something that I that has taken me a very long time to kind of wrap my head around as well, 
But every single thing that happened during that experience, good, bad, ugly, hurtful, not hurtful, damaging, etc., got me here. And I'm okay with that. Like, I'm in a pretty good spot as far as this is concerned. So, like, was it good that those things happened or I did those things to myself? No. But takeaway from it still lives in who I am now. And so being able to really embrace faltering of my ways during treatment and how how I was viewing myself and how I was viewing my life and what future I may have had or didn't have left during that period of time, like that all kind of shaped the way that things are going now, you know, even all these years later. So I think that's the long answer to say no. Yeah. Yeah, I see. I, I totally resonate with that. And so if you were, again, to come back to just look at this whole experience and, and know that somebody is going through something similar, what advice would you share with them? Oh my God, this is my favorite. So I would say live under the assumption that you're going to live and make as many good memories as you can. And I say this because you're going to look back at that time through kinder eyes, for one, and you'll give yourself more grace from removed point of view. And if you can look back and realize that you have purposefully created moments for yourself that you can look to and say, this wasn't all bad, then that is going to be so much better for your recovery and not just recovery from cancer, but then also like the mental health of it all as you kind of go through it. I can definitively point back to moments that my friends and I and my family and I created that were so fun. And like, I wouldn't trade them for anything. And like they're stupid shit that I can laugh about now. One that I always talk about that's my favorite is like I had friends over. It was right before my stem cell transplant. And I had friends over. We called the hospital kitchen and we were just like carrying on. We called the hospital kitchen and I asked them for like four pizzas. And they were like small little pizzas. They weren't like huge, you know, regular size pizzas. And I was just like, I have friends here, we're hungry, like, can we, whatever. And the woman on the other line was like, I'm so sorry, we can only send up one. It's like one per patient. And I was like, cool, I have a stem cell transplant tomorrow, I might die, and these are my friends, so can we just get some fucking pizza? (laughs) And they did, they sent it up, they were very good about it, and I did call and apologize later, but we had like this pizza party in my room <laughs> and we were like listening to music and carrying on. My mom was there and like, it was fun. And like the nurses used to make my room the last room on their round so that they could like hang out with us. We made a really good environment for everyone so that it wasn't, it wasn't just me trying to make myself feel better to have things to look back at. It was also so my friends could as well. And so my family could as well. And I'm a caretaker by nature and it, not the best all the time, but I did that on purpose so that we could all just like have a good laugh and look at back at it later and be like, yep, that was a lot of fun. And there's half a dozen, if not more moments that I can point to in that period of time that was like, yeah, that was great. So beautiful. So beautiful. I love that. So when you first started talking about your diagnosis, you mentioned that it was a lost cause or the doctors had no idea really how to approach the treatment. Talk to us about your healing. So how did you get to the place of healing? What did it take? And then what was that day like for you? Well, I think that depends on what you mean by healing, right? Because there's a lot of different versions of healing that are going on. It's not just the physical or mental. It's a lot of emotional and life in general. So, I mean, if there's a particular kind of healing you would like me to point to, I can certainly do that. Right. We're we're mind, we're body, we're spirit, we're all of the different parts of us. So whatever you feel resonated with you, the, the part that needed healing the most whatever you you feel that we would like to share the most. 
Well, I think the most immediate thing is the physical, you know, like you want to get back at it. And I joined a fancy, expensive gym that I couldn't afford, but I was like, you know what? I deserve it. I'm going to go. And I would go twice a day because I was like, I am paying for this. <laughs> I'm going. But that was after a long period of time where I could barely walk down the street without getting winded, you know, and that was that was because I had been in quarantine with tons of drugs running through me for a month. And so it was really building that up. And I'd go on these walks with my mom or my dad, and we'd go down to the river and we would just sit on the benches and watch the runners go by. And I just remember thinking like, I hate running, but I want to run right now. <laughs> like I want to do it. It's unfair because I went into this like in the best shape of my life. And so coming out of it, it was like, okay, I want to get back to that. I'm skin and bones. Like, let's take advantage of this and just get jacked to shit. And it never happened. <laughs> it came close. <laughs> Again, we're going to connect, Edward. <laughs> I have a trainer. He's already mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> if he can have pizza Fridays, so can I. But like, I think that was the most immediate healing that I needed to do. And I think the second version of healing that I needed to do had more to do with my relationships around me and myself, like my relationship to self and the people around me than anything else. And I think I'm very good at doing what I know so that the rest of my brain can function on a higher level. So I don't have to think about what I'm doing. You know, I wrote this book at a desk job where I was just sitting at a computer all day, kind of not doing much. And I had tons of free time. So I just wrote this book. And it was like, I'm at work, I'm doing my thing. When someone comes in, I know what to do and like do all the things, but it's not going to derail me from this. And so I kind of did that same thing in my healing process where it was like, I was an actor, I knew how to audition, I knew how to get up and go to the gym and go to auditions and do and hang out with my friends. And that's what I'm going to do. And so that was like every day. And it was like every day, close to every day, if not every day. And that's how I gave my brain space and bandwidth to kind of deal with everything else that was going on inside of me, whether that was anger or grief or feeling that I was unjustly handed the wrong card or whatever you want to call it, you know, and like, I don't want to say that this was like coming from a place of privilege, even though I had an exorbitant amount of it during this period of time. I was so, so lucky to have, you know, the mom I have and the insurance that she had and like, you know, all of the Obamacare passed like six months before and I was able to get back on my mom's insurance because I wasn't 26 yet. Like it was just the biggest send from the universe that you could imagine. But there was a lot of like, this wasn't how my life was supposed to be. And I was angry about it. And I had to find ways to deal with it. And so that's, you know, the bourbon and cheese situation came in. And that's why I never got jacked. But it was just coping mechanism after coping mechanism so that I could like distract myself from the things that were really hurting me. I started my own business during chemo because I was like, I need something to do. And this is what I meant earlier when I said it's taken me this long to kind of get to this point. I had spent so much time distracting myself and giving myself other things to do so I didn't have to focus on the garbage going on in my head and the way that I was talking to myself and the way that I was treating myself. And it's really only been within like the last two years that it's been like, hey, hang on a minute. And so, yeah, I mean, that was kind of, I hope that answers your question. I think that answers your question. Yeah, so beautiful. So what was that turning point then for you two years ago? Well, <laughs> I was living in an apartment in the Upper West Side of Manhattan that was very small, and it was someone else's, and I was paying barely anything at all to live there. And essentially, I was living alone, and it was easy. And it was that kind of thing that I didn't have to think about it so that I could spend other time, energy, and brain space doing other things that I cared about that I wanted to do. And I just hit this moment where I was like, I can't 
do this anymore. And if I want a different life, I have to change the one I have. And I got this big windfall of money from a work thing that I did. And I was like, that's it. I'm taking this and I'm moving. I'm getting out of this apartment and I'm getting, I'm changing everything. And it was by doing that, because that was the apartment that I had moved into right before my stem cell transplant. I'd lived there for almost 10 years. And it was just like time to go rip the bandaid off. I found this beautiful, enormous place up here in Washington Heights. And it really has and continues to force me to do and be better. Wow. It's always that line in the sand moment, right? When we decide that's it, these are not my standards because we, whatever we tolerate, it's what we continue to get. And whatever our situation is, if we still find the comfort in it and we still continue to tolerate it, whether that is somebody being abusive to us or a lifestyle that we don't honor or resonate with, we continue to get it until we decide not for me anymore. And it's the choosing of it too that gets me. Like I didn't ever I didn't ever hear anyone say like out loud that all the like bad decisions I was making or all the things that like I was doing were my choice because it was like no, I have to do it to do this. It's like no, you never did. And it was kind of like pulling back the curtain, like the don't look behind the curtain kind of thing during that period of time that I was like, wait a minute. If I want to do something else, I can just go do something else. And this is true everywhere, but I think it's especially true in larger cities. You know, like I'm in Manhattan, man. Like I can change my identity and who and what I do on a dime. And as long as like, you know, because social media is what we do now, like as long as that reflects it, no one's going to question it because they're just going to be like, oh, yeah, okay, cool, great. And so it really is about that realizing that you get to choose and you get to make that decision and draw that line in the sand and say, I'm not going past this. I will not. Love that. So this was such a beautiful conversation and I'm so sad that we are at the top of the hour. And so are there any final words that you want to share maybe with the audience you haven't had a chance to yet? I want to say be kinder to yourself. And I think that sounds like so hallmarky and like so like, ugh, but it's so true because none of us are nice to ourselves. And I think that's 100% true. I don't care how good your mindset is. I don't care how much of this shit you've done. You're not nice to yourself. And I don't really understand why that is inherently our default. And it is one of the hardest things to get out of. But I have found, I have it written on my mirror too, that if you tell yourself that you're amazing every single day, in some way, whether you see it subliminally on a note on your mirror, or you'd like actually consciously out loud, tell yourself that you're amazing. It really does help. <laughs> it's a brain rewire. And you just have to be like, you know what, I'm fucking amazing. Who cares? What are you going to do? You can't touch me. It's just stepping into your own power, I guess is what that is. So if, if I have to close with anything, I would say be kinder to yourself and step into yourself. So good. I love that. You're amazing. You're such a beautiful person. And I appreciate and Love so much this conversation and that you were able to really share and just open up and create this beautiful space of expansion for all of us to really, really think about our life now and get to decide who we truly want to be, Edward. So powerful. Thank you. So if people wanted to reach out to you, where could they go to do that? Well, on the subject of social media, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you can find me anywhere. I'm on uh, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Edward Miskey. I also have a YouTube that has a new podcast on it called How to Be a Big Deal. There's going to be another one coming out soon called I Want to Be a Rich Bitch that my friend Sarah and I are doing. And yeah, I mean, you can also get my book too, Cancer Musical Theater and Other Chronic Illnesses at Barnes & Noble and a ton of other places that carry books. Amazing. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you, Sherry. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Fall in Love with Fitness. Whether you're already on your fitness journey or just getting started, we're in this together. Just head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review, and you'll be entered into the drawing to win my six-week transformation course. Then go to fallinlovewithfitness.com and get your free gift from me so you get back your energy and reinvigorate your life. Join me on the next episode, and remember, you are an inspiration.